Welcome to Sistery Untold. We are your sisters and hosts, Sabrina and Marva. And on this podcast, we look at history through the eyes of sisterhood. I'm just realizing how many S's there are in our introduction. It's like Sabrina, Sistery, Sisters, History. Episode. Just general episode. Just general S's. <laughs> yeah. Just a lot. I think you could probably also say that about E's. Oh, there's so many E's in. <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> sisters. Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, spelling lesson aside. Today. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are here today. today. <laughs> I knew you would think that's funny. <laughs> okay. Oh, God rest the queen. Or oh. whatever the phrase is. God save the queen. It's not too late, Scott. <laughs> Sorry, that was really dark. We're going to cut all of this out. <laughs> nice try, God. Anyways, yes. You just said Do nice I- try, God? <laughs> oh! That's worse than me. That's blasphemy and what's it called when you're against the king treason? Oh my god. Okay. Composure. She's literally not alive. Okay. Speaking of queens, we are super excited to share with you today this episode that has one of our favorite authors and favorite guests, Gemma Holman, to talk Woo! about her newest book, The Queen and the Mistress, The Women of Edward III. Now, you might remember Gemma because she was on the show before, way back in season one, to talk about her first book, Royal Witches. And if you haven't checked that episode out, go back and do because it was super interesting and Gemma is just a lovely mm-hmm. and super, super, super smart person. It blows my mind how smart yeah. she is. <laughs> but anyways, I will stop fangirling over Gemma because this episode is actually about the two women who she wrote this book about. Philippa of Hainault, who was Queen of England for 40 years, and her husband's mistress, Alice Pairers, pronunciation uncertain, who <laughs> A lot was... of R's in that word. That's <laughs> yes. what I'm saying. <laughs> who was King Edward III's mistress later in life. And they were both super interesting women in their own right and very powerful and just would have been like a force to be reckoned with. But they also had a very interesting relationship with each other, as you might imagine, considering (laughs) the circumstances. But I will not go into loads of detail now because that's what the point of this episode is. So we will now hand you over to us. Gemma. Just and us yes, from before. Yes. 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 <laughs> With Gemma. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Hi, 
everyone. Um, as we said, we have Gemma Holman here with us to talk about her new book, The Queen and the Mistress, The Women of Edward III. And you will have heard Gemma before on one of our very first interview episodes where she talked about her book, Royal Witches, Witchcraft and the Nobility of 15th Century England. So we are super excited to have you back, Gemma. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think it would be interesting if we start talking about, like, your new book, like, what the concept is and, like, how you wrote it, basically, what kind of research you had to do and just give our listeners an idea yeah. of, like, what it actually takes to write a book about these historical women. Yeah, of course. So um, so it's quite a nice self-explanatory title, The Queen and the Mistress, The Women of Edward III. So it's about Edward III's women, his queen and his mistress. So nice and clever there. <laughs> um, so those two women are Philippa of Hainault, which was his queen um, and his wife, um, and Alice Perez, who was his mistress. Um, and they're both very interesting women from very different backgrounds, so I'm excited to have a chat about them. It was a really interesting way to sort of write the book. I mean, I knew bits and pieces about both of them. Um, I'd covered Philippa of Hainault um, during my time at university, um, and I knew of Alice Perez. I'd actually read a historical fiction book about Ooh. her years and years ago, um, and found her like a really interesting character. So I sort of knew her on my radar. So I was kind of interested in writing about her kind of following on from royal witches and doing these kind of like scandalous women at the mm -hmm. royal court but when I was sort of doing like my initial research into her I found that like there's not much <laughs> about her there um and so I wasn't too sure like I was chatting with my publisher and we weren't too sure whether like there would be enough to make a full book about her or not so then I was kind of like thinking about other ways I could approach her you know whether I could be looking at the wider court or like looking at some of um, the people that she was friends with at court and things like that. And then I was kind of just like, well, what about Philippa? Mm -hmm. You know, I've written about mm -hmm. her before, you know, she's really interesting. And, you know, it'd be really cool to compare the two women, you know, because they are so different, but, you know, they were both in a relationship with the king. Mm -hmm. um, and as far mm -hmm. as we're aware, they're the only two women he was ever in a relationship with. Um, and so you sort of go, okay, well, what connects these two women? You know, they must have some things in common and things like that. And, you know, they were both very powerful women in their own rights. And so, you know, how did they both get to that position? And I thought it would just be really interesting to sort of look at Alice through that mm -hmm. lens because a lot of what's been written about Alice kind of just looks at her by herself um, and sort of after Philippa's death. And so yeah, I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of weave both of them together um, and sort of see if it opened up something about the other yeah. one. So yeah, it was really good fun. With Royal Witches, it was also about a group of women in the royal court. Do you think that in like your research and in writing that it's helpful to like put the women in the context with other women of the period rather than just focusing on one woman or do you think that um or do you not think that <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's always interesting to have like a deep dive into one person and like mm. look at every single aspect of their life but i sort of personally think you know women's history has kind of been around for like you know a few decades now it's kind of been popular and people have like done lots of work to sort of bring these women to the front and like that's still important to do going forwards but I think it's also important that we start to like draw everything together so it's not just like here's a biography of a king here's a biography mm -hmm. of a queen mm -hmm. it's like they were both there at the same time they were married to each other like they lived together they had children together so like they influenced each mm -hmm. other 
Um, and that's definitely something I found actually when I was writing about Philippa is I would get out like a 500 page book on Edward um, and I'd look in the index and there'd be like three references to Philippa. And I'm like, they were married for 40 years. They were always yeah. together. Like she did so many things. How can she only be mentioned four times in this whole book? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I think by placing women together and placing women and men together, you do get a much bigger sense of what was going on. Um, I mean, as you said, like with Royal Witches, I was quite keen to do all four together because each of their cases had been written about individually and like sometimes they'd been written in relation to each other. So like if you were reading something about Joan, they might also just say, oh, and also, you know, her stepdaughter, mm -hmm. Eleanor, was mm -hmm. accused, you know, mm -hmm. a few years later. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was when I sort of sat down and went, well, this is four women who are all in the royal family. There's not many women in the royal family. Mm -hmm. It's all within 70 years. I was like, that's like one person's lifetime. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was like, why aren't they being seen together? Because they lead on, you know, each case led on to the other case. Um, and it's a similar thing with Alice and, and Philippa is, you know, Philippa had been queen for 40 years and she was seen as like this amazing medieval queen and everybody loved her. And then suddenly straight after she dies, there's this other woman at court mm -hmm. and everyone realizes she's been having an affair with the king whilst the queen was alive because she's got children. Oh, wow. um, and they go, hold on a second. <laughs> Those children are like several years old. Uh -huh. um, and oh, wow. then, you know, she then takes over the court and is this really powerful woman. Mm. And people were looking at her in comparison to Philippa. Mm -hmm. You know, they've gone, mm -hmm. we've had Philippa who's amazing. She's pardoned criminals. She's like giving money to universities and churches and her servants. And she's this really great queen. But now we've got Alice and, you know, she's a she's a nobody woman who nobody knows who she is. She's really greedy and selfish. She doesn't help anybody out. You know, she doesn't give money to people. In fact, she's taking money from the government. And so, you know, she is being judged in comparison to Philippa. And so, you know, I think it adds an extra depth to the story of her life to think about how contemporaries would have seen it. You know, for, for contemporaries, you know, the, the world didn't start in 1370 and suddenly Alice is there. <laughs> you know, they, they'd been there the years before when Philippa was there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think you can definitely get a deeper sense of story. And it also contextualises things, you know, having, if you've read the first half of the book of Philippa's life, you know, you've read about the previous 40, 50 years of English history and everything mm -hmm. that leads up to and a lot of that provides context for Alice you know Edward has been having has started the wars with France he started the Hundred Years War mm -hmm. and there's been decades and decades of fighting and victories and then just as Alice comes to the court those victories start becoming less and less mm -hmm. they start losing mm -hmm. money the crown's in debt and so Alice who's got money and her friends who've got money mm -hmm. can then provide loans to the mm. crown and then that gives them power and so wow. without knowing wow. what comes beforehand you don't understand how they then got power so yeah, yeah I think it is yeah. really important to sort of see everything in context and sort of get get that sort of additional background information mm -hmm. yeah yeah wow that's so interesting um and then I'm also wondering like how you're describing how people talked about Alice in comparison to Philippa so and I know, like, um, Marva, when you did our Byzantine episode, like, the person writing about the two women, Theodora and Antonina, it was, like, he, like, hated them. And so, like, how do you, like, see the real woman, like, when it's, like, through the lens of, like, people who just kind of hate her? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because maybe some things, like, they have things to back it up that, like, oh, she's not, like, giving any money. But then you say, like, oh, she actually, her and her friends gave a lot of money to the crown. So... 
how do you kind of like see the real the real person? Yeah, or like if that person who's writing is saying like, oh, she didn't give any money to charity, or but like, were other people giving money to charity? Like, how do you you know <laughs> like was that was she expected to, or is you are you just mm-hmm. calling out like her flaws? And forgetting the rest of the context around her. Yeah. And yeah, if she's giving all her money to a war, like maybe she doesn't have any money <laughs> to like yeah. help the poor children, like get like mutton yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was definitely a real challenge for Alice um, to try and, you know, as you say, get, get to a more like even portrayal of her mm-hmm. um, because, mm-hmm. you know, so few things survive and the things that do survive are biased against her. Um, sort of a similar situation to what you were saying with the Byzantines, that there's a chronicler of St. Albans Abbey called Thomas Walsingham, and he hates Alice. Mm. <laughs> she is like the devil incarnate to him. Um, uh-huh. You know, he's a, relig- a very religious man and she's an immoral mistress, so she's already got a mark against mm. her name. And on top of that, Alice, um, during her height of power at court, she has lots of disputes with the Abbey of St. Albans. They're like sort of claiming the same mm. properties and things, and she's kind of winning because, you know, she's sleeping with the king um so like that's just like even worse sometimes it helps yeah. yeah so it's like but it's like in a way it's kind of great because women so rarely, rarely get mentioned in chronicles you know even queens and stuff but because he hates her so much he can't stop writing mm. about her um yeah. and so you know she's like one of the women mm. i've seen most written about in chronicles because mm. all he goes is oh alice is so horrible and uh-huh. you know she made the king love her because of witchcraft because she's really ugly and like you know why else would he love oh, her and uh, mm-hmm. you know she's she's doing yeah she's doing all these <laughs> terrible things um, and so it's it's great to get like a bit of information and a bit of context from that, but obviously like he's very clearly biased against her, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. everything in there you have to kind of take with a pinch of salt. Um, and yeah. that's been quite tricky for historians when he is saying things about her of okay, did this actually happen or is this just something he's saying against her name? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been quite tricky because um, sort of in recent years there have been a few things that have come out that were like, okay, well, maybe he wasn't quite off the mark with that thing, but we still know that that other thing he said is completely false. So, you know, trying to pick out what really happened, um, he's he's a bit more useful as a source just of what did people think about her rather than what did she do. Um, And yeah, that's definitely a challenge with her because, you know, it's so long ago, she doesn't have a diary that she left behind where she said, you know, (laughs) this is what I think and feel. Um, And so a lot of what I try to do is just, you know, obviously talk about the things that we do know happened um and a lot of that's things like land deals and you know gifts that she's Mm. received Mm -hmm. that are written down in the wardrobe so like very physical things like that and then everything else you you kind of have to fill in and you know there's always a level of supposition that you're going to have to do um and it's just kind of finding that balance of you know trying to leave open several possibilities you know there's definitely a few points where I was like Maybe she was thinking this, maybe she was thinking that, we don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing I did try to, I sort of was keen to put across is, you know, so many historians have just said that basically she was a gold digger. You know, she, she was using her relationship with the king to get money and 
jewels and land and wealth um, and she didn't care about the king at all and you know a lot of this has been fed in from things that Walsingham said you know Walsingham mm -hmm. has a story that when the king dies Alice is with her and like her final act just as she sees the king's dying is to take the rings off of his finger and flee and you know so it's this thing of like she was so greedy that even when he died she had to steal from him um, and this kind of idea of her has kind of carried on um, and you know I did find um, even in historians who tended to be a bit more balanced, I still sort of found things where they would sort of just do throwaway lines that were like quite harsh. Um, so for example, um, near the end of his life, um, Edward commissions some jewellery um, that's obviously for Alice. Um, and, you know, he makes, he has this jewellery and he has inscribed on it, um, you know, think of me and never apart. And so it's like, you know, a really nice kind of gesture, a nice yeah, gift. Yeah. It's like obviously sort of between the couple. And then someone just sort of says, oh, you know, it's an old man, you know, trying to pretend to be a lover to the mother of his bastard kind of thing. And I was like, that. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe it's just two people who were in love and he wanted to give her a gift, you know? Yeah. And it's yeah. Like, so I think a lot of what I did was just try to come up with an alternative you know and mm -hmm. as I said you can't say for certain you know I, I make it clear at one point like when when he dies I sort of said we've got no idea how Alice felt you know mm -hmm. she might not have loved him for all we know but I was like at the same time by that point they'd been in a relationship for about 15 years they had three children together I was like I think it's fair enough to say that at the very least she liked him as a friend <laughs> you know even if she yeah. was using him for like all of his money and things like you'd think he doesn't she wouldn't hate him <laughs> so I was like, yeah. you know that there must have been some feeling for her when yeah. when he died and as I said you know that's just us being cynical that she didn't yeah. love him because yeah. because mm -hmm. she got jewels it's like maybe she loved him and she loved her that she got jewels you know like <laughs> yeah. both can be true she can have appreciated that she was getting all this wealth and money from him and like loved the wealth and power that came with it but that doesn't mean that she also didn't love him um, yeah so yeah as I said that it, it is hard you know we there's so little we know about her um and you know you can't say anything with certain but as i said i i just tried to open up alternate possibilities to what people have been saying for the last six centuries <laughs> yeah yeah it, it seems like one of those things where sometimes the I, there's some kind of like phrase i'm terrible with like phrases but like you know like the easiest solution is or like the most obvious solution is like the, the right one or solution. something yeah. like yeah, like, did he go out and get her jewellery even though he didn't really like her just because or whatever? Or did he get her jewellery because he liked her? Yeah, like, well, and that's, all, that's also something I sort of say is that, like, you know, if if you're saying that she didn't like him at all and, like, she was just using him for the money, I was like, that's also quite insulting to him to suggest that mm -hmm. he couldn't recognize that, you know, that yeah. he yeah. thought she's madly in love with me, but she's not. Um, and <laughs> it's like, you know, there's until like literally the last year of his life, there's no indication that, you know, he didn't have his mental faculties or anything. You know, he was still fit and strong and like mentally there. And like, you know, he was still riding across his kingdom and running the government and doing all these things. And so the idea that like, for 15 years, someone could pretend to like him and they didn't. <laughs> it's, it's, as you say, it's like the simple solution is they liked each other. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, yeah. And, and I do say that as well. You know, it's 
we don't know how old Alice is, but it's very likely there was a big age gap between them, probably about 30 years or so. Um, which, you know, obviously for us today can be a bit of a, like, ooh, you know, 20-year-old woman, 50-year-old man kind of thing. But, you know, I do also, again, make the point where I'm like, you know, he was a very liked king for a reason, you know? He was handsome, he was athletic, he won lots of wars, um, you know, he was very affable, everyone in the kingdom liked him. So again, like, there's no reason that Alice wouldn't have liked him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. so again, I, I, as you say, I think I think you're completely right. I think, you know, the easiest answer and most obvious answer is usually that for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And I guess, like, yeah, it seems like a lot of it is looking at her from a very, like, one-dimensional perspective. I feel like even nowadays, anyone who's, like, a gold digger probably isn't just a gold digger. Like, they, like, you know, they have multiple aspects of their personality and, like, can be in it for the money. And if you're going to spend every day with someone... For 15 years. You have to kind of like (laughs) them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also, I think, as you say, like, I think explanation as well has a big part in it you know no one's kind of explained Alice's actions beyond she was greedy um and mm-hmm. you know there are certainly certainly right at the end of Edward's life you know it does seem very much like she was being very greedy you know the last few months of his life there's so many grants to her and she's like getting loads of gifts from him she's getting lots of mm-hmm. deals with land and like all these things and so it's like hard to be like oh no she was fine like yeah <laughs> she was trying to grab yeah. lots of things but again you know it's coming up with an alternate solution where it's like yes she might have been doing that because she really liked land and she wanted mm-hmm. as much as she could get and that's a very valid you know theory because that's how mm-hmm. it looks but I sort of tried to come up with alternate things uh, as well and I was sort of saying well look she's a single woman she's a mistress mm-hmm. she's a lower class woman so she doesn't have you know she's not a noble woman who's got this like big powerful family who can look after her she's she's mm-hmm. nobody mm-hmm. she's got three kids who are all teenagers or younger when the king mm-hmm. dies that's it like what she's yeah. got is what she's mm-hmm. got and so mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. would you not try to be like oh maybe if I can get one more manor like then I'll be okay kind of yeah. thing you know it's mm-hmm. it's again it's mm-hmm. like okay it might be she wanted the power but it might also be she was going oh my god what am I gonna do when he dies I'm gonna be by myself like mm-hmm. if I have an extra manor I might be yeah. more secure so again it's just like coming up with yeah. those alternate things that that could be reasons and Again, you know, it could be both. It could be she really wanted the manor, but also, you know, she was also <laughs> worried about what would happen. So, you know, yeah. as you say, people yeah. don't always just have one reason for something. Um, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully I've sort of introduced a few alternates. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think especially, like, when you mentioned she had three kids, like, she's not just doing this for herself. She's doing it for their kids, like, their collective kids. Because even if he loved them, like, legally, they don't really belong to him like and like in the eyes of like the church you know and so she really has to like secure their future yeah and like we've talked about at least we've talked about a couple other mistresses on here but like I'm thinking about like Nell Gwynn who had an affair with a king as well and the whole time she was just trying to get her son's titles she was like you need to like give them something like and you know have buy a house like something that they when he leaves or like just she falls out of favor with him or whatever she can like her kids and their kids together can like have a life and so I feel like that's a whole other motivator like the motherhood drive to like protect your children and like provide for them yeah definitely yeah so yeah Yeah. we talked a little bit before we started recording about 
you started this project technically, I think in 2018 or 2019, but then the pandemic happened and everything like kind of changed. So yeah, I just wanted to know like what your experience was with like using like online archives versus going in person. And like, once you could go in person, like how much did that change like your research? Yeah. So yeah, as you say, it was, um, yeah, it was 2019 that I sort of like got the contract for this one. Um, and the plan was to have it handed in the start of last year. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, COVID hit, everything closed down mm. and it was like, oh, mm. okay. Um, and you know, everything was shut for months. So there wasn't really anything I could do. Um, but, you know, very early on, a lot of archives and libraries and like other sort of historical source websites started to open their things up. Um, so, you know, I mean, archives and libraries are always digitizing things, but, you know, there's a couple of libraries or things where I was like needed a copy of something and they would send a copy over to me. Um, and then, oh, you know, there's, yeah, nice. yeah. And then there's, you know, there was like journal websites. So JSTOR um, has like loads of journal articles on there. Um, and they made it so that you could read 100 free articles a month um, if you signed up. A month? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which they, it was six before. So, you know, that kind of shows you like they sort of oh, really wow. upped it. Um, and it's it's still yeah. in place now. Um, hopefully that's a permanent thing. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, so that was really useful because, you know, I was then at least able to like sit at home and read journal articles and things. Um and then there's a source website called British History Online that's got a lot of like um, a lot of the sort of governmental records and things that I needed. Mm. Um, and there, there's also, um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's like the Haiti Trust or something. It's like an American. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they again, were like more open during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, they've got a lot of like um, in in the early 1900s, they sort of did all of the like calendars of the patent roles and the close roles and like these government mm. um, roles. And so they've been digitized for a long time. So like mm. I was able to access them, which was really useful because that's where all the sort of like land transactions and stuff were recorded and stuff. So mm. I was able to get like a decent amount done at home, um, which was really useful. But yeah, obviously it then sort of hit a point where I'd kind of done everything I could do remotely. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I just need to like, go to the British Library and read some books. I need to go to the National Archives, you know, go to other archives mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, so that that that's what kind of caused the delay there. Um, but but no, it's, it's nice to be able to like do a bit of mix and match because, you know, if you're sort of working during the day, you can come home, log on and like read a journal article for 15 minutes and then go make dinner. Mm -hmm. um, but then, mm -hmm. you know, going to like the British Library for a whole day, you can just sit there with like a pile of books yeah. and just like plow through it kind of thing. So like, you you get like very different you know results obviously when you are in person um and and as i said you know there's certain things that you do just need to go see um but yeah it was it was really interesting you know a really interesting different experience to do it but i would rather not do it that way again <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'd rather just yeah. be able to go where i need to go um but but now yeah. as i said it, it did really change the way that a lot of these online things approached things and they kind of realized that like, you know, it's really useful for everybody to sort of have, have these things more open. Um, so so that was that was really good. And as I said, there were a lot of places who were really generous and there were subscription sites like British History Online that made their subscription free um, over the sort of course of the first lockdown mm -hmm. and stuff like mm -hmm. that so that everybody could access it even if you didn't have the money to pay. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. there, there were a lot of like really generous people who worked really hard during it to like help people like me sort of accessing so that that's that was so helpful yeah 
Awesome. Well, I'm glad it all worked out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear more about Philippa and Alice. Can you tell us a little bit about like them as people? Yeah, so um, Philippa is like really interesting. So she's kind of a member of like European sort of nobility royalty. So um, her father is the Count of Hainault, Holland and Zealand, which is kind of a collection of independent territories at the time that kind of cover sort of bits of the modern day sort of Netherlands, Belgium, Northern France Mm -hmm. kind of area. Um, and so he's like quite a powerful, like independent lord kind of thing. Um, and then her mother is a member of the French royal family. Um, so she's kind of related, you know, to the French royalty through her mother um, and also to sort of various other European monarchs sort of through both of her parents and everything. So she's like really high birth. And her marriage, as is often the case of women of her birth, was a political marriage to Edward III. So to try and cut a long story short, uh, his father, Edward II, had sort of alienated a lot of people in England. Um, He had these favourites called the Dispensers, who he like lavished loads of stuff on um, and sort of really favoured them over everybody else. Um, so a lot of the English nobility had actually gone into exile to the French court because it was because they'd done something to upset the dispensers kind of thing. And one of these people was his wife, Isabella. Yes, we did an episode about Isabella. <laughs> right, perfect. So hopefully your listeners will know all about her. So yeah, he'd upset her as well. So she went over as well. Um, and yeah, she basically ends up with control of her son. And as soon as she's got control of her son, she's able to start making demands and she decides I'm not having this anymore. Um, and she wants the dispensers gone, basically. Um, and this kind of rumbles on for like the best part of a year. And eventually she makes a deal with Philippa's parents. Um, so her cousin was Philippa's mother. Um, so, you know, they were related um, and they basically come up with this thing where they say, right, we'll marry Edward and Philippa. Um, and sort of as, it was sort of almost as Philippa's dowry really, was her father and her uncle would provide um, some ships and some men for Isabella and these other exiled nobles to sail over to England and sort of get rid of the dispensers basically. So very political marriage, um, you know, done done under sort of quite extreme circumstances. Mm-hmm. And yeah, basically the invasion ends up going so well that they actually end up overthrowing Edward II. Um, and eventually it's decided that his son Edward III should become king instead and he should be deposed. Can I ask how old was Philippa when they got married? So when this is going on she's sort of around 13-ish. Um yeah. <laughs> oh but, my gosh um, overthrowing yeah. a monarchy when you're 13. <laughs> yeah yeah so so wow. Edward's yeah Edward's a couple of years older but yeah he's he's um about sort of 14 15 she's sort of like 12, <laughs> oh my gosh 13. that's still so young well at least they're at least close in age it's not like you know he's yes. 50 and she's yeah. 13 yeah well that that is yeah that's a big thing because her two older sisters had both married older men um and mm. one of them was significantly older um so yeah she was probably just quite grateful that he was her age <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so... But they were truly just like pawns of their moms then, yeah. because 
what are you thinking about when you're 13? Definitely not like, oh man, we gotta get this king out of power. Like, yeah. I feel like that's... Yeah, exactly. You don't have like the strategical mind, so wow. Okay. And and that kind of carries on for a few years, really, because once, once they do get married, Isabella kind of just continues running things because she's quite enjoyed being in power and having all the control. Um, and as you say, they sort of Edward and Philippa continue to just like really be in the background and be kind of like Edward's a bit of a puppet king in many ways. Mm. Um, and you know, Philippa isn't treated like a queen. Mm-hmm. You know, her coronation is delayed for years. Um, she's not given her dower, so she's got like no income. Mm-hmm. So she's like basically she's living in relative poverty. You know, she's on a similar income to like knights and stuff. So like. You know, as I said, mm. it's still like not that bad, but like in terms of what she should be on, like it was, it was absolute poverty. Yeah. Like she couldn't buy any dresses, <laughs> she couldn't do anything. Um, and so, so yeah, so it's. And why didn't she receive her dowry? So it kind of all starts to happen around when um, she gets pregnant. Um, that's when they finally give her a coronation because she mm. can't really have a baby without being a mm. crowned queen. <laughs> Um, and then because she's getting crowned, they kind of set up a like really minimal dower for her, but it's still not mm-hmm. like quite what was agreed. Um, and so it's only really after Edward overthrows his mother in 1330 that he mm-hmm. sort of sets out to give her a proper dower. Um, and then even mm-hmm. then, like a year or two later, they're like, we've looked at these lands and they're not worth anything like what you think they're mm-hmm. worth. So we still need more money. So... Yeah, she really struggles for quite a few years. Uh-huh. Um, oh my yeah, but um, you know, once once her and Edward do take over, it's kind of plain sailing from there. Really, um, she she had gained a lot of sympathy and popularity during the minority because people didn't like how she was being treated, mm-hmm. and they wanted her mm-hmm. to you know have everything that was fitting her status. Um, and so I think she sort of gained a lot of sympathy from a lot of the nobles. Um, and so, yeah, when she became queen, everyone's like, yay, you know, the the young people, you know, they're on the throne, like, everything's going to be okay now, you know, we don't have horrible Edward II, we don't have horrible Isabella and Mortimer, so, like, it's all going to be okay, um, and, yeah, she kind of, you know, rides the coattails of that, um, but the, the thing that's kind of really interesting about Isabella, you know, I was sort of saying about how I've written about these kind of scandalous women and, you know, women who have these things around them, but, like, Philippa is just in so many ways, the most ideal medieval queen. Like, she's just really, really good at being a queen. <laughs> um, and everybody loves her. Like, there's... I couldn't find one single negative thing, like, ever written about her wow. once in the whole time. Oh and it's like, you know, even other queens who were really loved, like, there's always something, you know, mm-hmm. oh, they brought too many foreign people with them, like, to court when they came over, so, like, let's get rid of some of them. Or, you know, there's, there's always kind of something, and I just... I, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody loved her. Um, <laughs> Um, and but you know I think I think that's really really interesting in itself you know we do like focusing on these scandalous women because it's really interesting to be like yeah like women could Mm -hmm. have power in the past Mm -hmm. and like they could do all these things but like it's also really interesting to have a woman who was so amazing at what she was doing Mm -hmm. that everybody Mm -hmm. loved her because yeah the the standards for medieval women and from even medieval queens was just so impossible you know they're meant to have loads of babies so that the succession is fine but they're not meant to be sexual you know they can't be temptresses and they can't be overtly sexual Mm -hmm. and you know they need to be really 
you know, pious and educated and generous, but also like they're meant to be these diplomatic tools who can be like really clever and crafty and mm -hmm. can help make alliances mm -hmm. and all of this. And like, there's so many conflicting things that like, there's no wonder like yeah. every queen tended to have some bad times because it's like <laughs> trying to fulfill everything is just impossible. And mm -hmm. so, as I said, like the fact that she seems to have done it, <laughs> I'm just like, how? <laughs> how did you? <laughs> how did you do all these things? You know, how were you so good at it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, as I said, that's just something that I I find really interesting about her. Yeah, no, that is super interesting. Like, there's so many like contradictory things, like in the like her expectation of how to be a good queen, and like to be able to manage mm -hmm. all of that is beyond <laughs> beyond my understanding. But um, yeah. <laughs> more power to her. And what was the reaction then when she died? I'm imagining people were like in mourning a lot, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, lots of like chroniclers and writers sort of wrote eulogies for her and sort of, mm. you know, said how amazing she was. Um, there's one of the main chroniclers for the period um, is a man called Froissart. Um, and he like worked in her household, like she was his patron um, for many years. And so like he, you know, he obviously is really upset. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he just basically mm -hmm. says, she's the best one ever, you know, as long as she lived, there was prosperity in England, you know, everybody, like she was so great, you know, mm -hmm. and just like really sort of talking about, talking mm -hmm. her up. But as I said, like there's multiple other people who sort of say similar things about her. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's kind of, something I point out in the book where I'm like this isn't just chroniclers being chroniclers and flattering the queen it's like genuinely mm -hmm. it seems that everyone was like oh my god not her you know she was so amazing yeah. do you know do you have an idea of what like what made her be that way like I'm also like how do I and get this <laughs> get this power yeah if but... she could write a like a self-help book yeah. <laughs> what would she say well I think I think she was just raised really well mm -hmm. um you know her her mother as i said was a member of the french royalty um so she kind of knew a lot of expectations of women and women who ruled um and they had a really close family as well um you know they always spent a lot of time together and um she was particularly close to her mother um who was like really close to all of her children um you know obviously at this time rulers often have to like move around a lot and so they don't always live with their children and like it doesn't mean that they weren't close and stuff but you know they didn't always have the same kind of relationship um but she was like always writing to her children she was always sending them gifts like she even went to like visit her children which again is like quite rare you know that the sort of female rulers didn't often leave their territory to like go visit their children and stuff yeah. um and i think I think that was really formative for her. And I think it was made even more so by what she married into, mm -hmm. where, you know, Edward had this complete opposite childhood where, you know, mm -hmm. his mother and father are fighting so much that one launches a war against the other one and then his dad ends up probably murdered. And it's like, yeah. he has such a dysfunctional childhood from this yeah. that I think, you know, having someone like Philippa who's just like so family orientated. Mm -hmm. I think I think that was a big connection for them. And like making a family with Philippa was kind of like a fresh start for him. Like he could kind of have his own family and he could treat his children how he wanted him to be treated and, you know, love mm -hmm. his wife like he thought his mother should have been loved. Um, and mm -hmm. I think 
I think that was very important, um, you know, throughout his reign to kind of keep the stability. You know, there was no kind of warring between his children or anything like previous monarchs, like the sons would fight with each other and the sons would fight with the father mm -hmm. and all of this. Mm -hmm. And like, it was just so harmonious in their family. And so that's important. You know, people would have been aware that she was helping, you know, with that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, she just would have known, as I said, like her mother would have just taught her how to act, you know, this is, you know, you need to make sure that you look after the your servants and you reward mm -hmm. them and, you know, mm -hmm. you need to make sure that you intercede for criminals and, and she would have learnt a lot as well, you know, because she was so young when she came, she was, she was just probably just about 14 or nearly 14 when she got married. And so she had all of these English women in her household from the start and again, they would have taught her like this is how we do things in England, you know, mm -hmm. these are the English traditions, this is what's expected of you. And she obviously just took it in and went with it. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, you know, her relationship with Edward is probably a big part of that, that, you know, she clearly really, really loved him. Mm -hmm. um, and so everything she wanted to do was to help him out. So, you know, she would be diplomatic and she would write to her many cousins and uncles and aunts and try to make alliances because Edward needed allies for his war with France. So she's going to do what she can to help him get allies with war with France. Um, and, and yeah, so I think it all kind of feeds into it um, that, that it sort of, you know, makes this good persona. And it probably also helped that Isabella had kind of become so unpopular by the end of her <laughs> reign that it's also like you know, comparing with the one before, you know, she wasn't trying to grab power for herself and she wasn't trying to do all these things that Isabella did. So everyone's like, oh, well, she's great. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like she kind of represents the transition from like all this chaos to more like peaceful time as well. You can attach those like emotions yeah, to her. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Edward's Maybe. reign was a real time of boom, you know, in England. I mean, part of the reason that Alice was able to come to court in later decades was that the mercantile class had just like seen such a boom in trade and everything. And they'd sort of suddenly mm. become really rich mm. and everybody was really wealthy to the extent that, you know, later on in his reign, Edward like makes laws about what people can and can't wear, depending on what class you are like what you can wear and what you can eat because people were so upset that the sort of merchants had become so rich that they were able to afford all the clothes that before only the nobility could afford and they're like hey they're dressing like us but we're meant to be better than them um so so yeah as you say you know when when that's happening when the wars with france are going so well the wars with scotland are going so well as you say, it, mm -hmm. it sort of reflects on Edward and, and by association it reflects on, on Philippa. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, as you say, that that's probably a big part of it as well as she's connected to that success. I have a question related, but not like super related. But the clothing <laughs> thing was that, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that they were like, oh, like you're, unless you're like royal or something, you weren't allowed to wear like purple. One, is that true? And then <laughs> two, is that like the kind of thing, was it like that specific to like, you can't wear this color if you're not like of this class or? Yeah, I mean, I, I have heard that with um some some other countries, I think like sort of in, as you say, like with the Byzantines and like some other things. I'm not sure so much specifically like on the color purple like in England, but it certainly would have been like, you know, a more expensive dye. So it, it might have been that like non-royals could wear it, but it would have been like the most high status, most rich earls and things. So like probably not many people um, did. Um, but yeah, that, that was the exact kind of thing. So 
Um, you know, obviously like certain materials were much more expensive because, you know, it might be silk that's been imported from Asia or, you know, it might be certain dyes that are only available in Africa um, or, you know, it might be mm. certain cloth that like takes so long to weave a cloth that fine that it's really expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so it's all things like that where sort of it was, yeah, like types of material um, and also amount of material mm -hmm. as well. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're in this class, you're not allowed to buy material of this type kind of thing. You know, you can only be wearing mm -hmm. these types of material and it changes with each class. Um, and it, it was similar with like certain items of food as well. Um, so, yeah, they, they mm -hmm. sort of tried, tried to regulate mm -hmm. it a bit because, as I said, all of the upper classes were getting in a tiz about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's weird they're threatened by, like, other wealthy people. It's not like, oh, the peasants are starting to look like us. It's like these people who are super rich but just don't have a title. Uh, like old yeah, money versus it is. And new it's, money, it's I because, guess. Because medieval England was such a visual culture, you know, most people can't mm -hmm. read and write. And so mm -hmm. the way you tell who somebody is, is by what they're wearing. You know, if someone walks that down... Is, that is so... Yeah, you know, if someone walks I down the street, you can tell what class mm -hmm. they're in because of what they're wearing. And so that was, yeah. that was kind of more their issue is that, you know, people, they were looking like they were lords and, and they're not, they're just merchants, mm -hmm. you know. And, and as you say, it's, mm -hmm. it is kind of, yeah, it is a bit like that old money, new money. Because as you say, they could afford mm -hmm. it. That's why they were wearing it. But yeah, it was like, yeah. well, you don't have a title, you know, yeah. you don't have all these lands and this ancient lineage that I've got. So you should be looking the same as me. You know, if mm -hmm. I walk down the street, I want everybody mm -hmm. to know I'm better than them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like maybe this is a good transition because I feel like this is also probably some of the things that Alice would have experienced. Could you mm -hmm. tell us yeah. a bit about like Alice? What I know that you said there's not a lot of like backstory to her but like what you do know yeah so um as I said like Alice had been a bit of an enigma sort of basically since she came to power like even at the time people didn't really know who she was or where she'd come from um and then it was actually sort of like in the early 2000s there was a big cataloging project going on at the National Archives um and uh one of the people working on it was like an expert on Edward III and he found these petitions um, that were related to Alice. Um, and they basically got a load of information that completely changed our understanding of her. So beforehand, we always thought that, you know, she was a woman called Alice Perez. Um, and so people were trying to like figure out who she was. There was like a knight Perez in Hertfordshire. So they're like, oh, maybe she could have been his daughter or something like that. But like one of these petitions revealed that actually she'd been married. Um, and she was married to a man called Janin Perez. Mm. And so that's why she was called Alice Perez, because she'd actually been married before. Um, and then there was also in one of the other petitions a reference to her brother, John Salisbury. So we're like, oh, okay, so now we know that she was actually Alice Salisbury and she married a man and then became Alice Perez. Um, mm. And so um, he sort of built on that work and kind of had a few suggestions about who her family could be as a result. Um, and then another historian came along um, who's sort of a real expert in Alice and she did a bit more digging and she has then tied Alice to a goldsmith family in London because uh, she's found these Salisbury's who were working as goldsmiths in London um, and Janin who she married is known to have been like a jeweller goldsmith kind of thing so it kind of provides the link between how they got married and how they got connected and everything. So, yeah, so we think now <laughs> that she was the daughter of a goldsmith, uh, or at least, you know, married into this goldsmithing extended family. 
Um, and so, as I said, that kind of puts her at this rising mercantile class who have like just seen a big upturn mm. in fortunes. So, like in terms, again, in terms of like the entire country of large, she probably would have had a, a fairly reasonable upbringing. You know, she probably had a decent enough house. She probably had, you know, they probably had some nice soft furnishing, uh, furnishings and things like that. Uh, she might even have gone to school at some point because there were some schools in London at the time that that taught girls. So, you know, it's not outside the realms of possibility mm-hmm. that she could have been educated. Um, so, yeah, she was kind of, you know, for for the country at large, she was having quite quite a decent time of things. But obviously in terms of the social hierarchy, she's still like way, 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 way down the ladder kind of yeah. thing. Um, and it's basically sometime after her husband's death, she finds her way... Um, working as one of Philippa's ladies-in-waiting. And again, we don't quite know how that happened. Uh, We think uh, one of the suggestions is that it could be linked to her husband's death because it was around this time um, that a lot of Philippa's debts were being paid off to jewellers and, you know, tailors and things Mm -hmm. like that. And so there's kind of a suggestion. We know that Janin provided jewels for the king because uh, we've got a record proving it where the king calls him our beloved jeweler. Um, so, you know, we know that he had connections with Edward. So, you know, one of the suggestions is after he died, maybe Alice kind of approached the court either to like, you know, get some money that might have been owed to him or something. And so maybe it was suggested, well, why don't you come work for Philippa instead kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's basically how she manages to to find her way at court. And so immediately her life would have just been completely different because, you know, she would have, yeah. as I said, she would have been used to some luxuries. You know, she was able to afford some nice clothes and things like that. But obviously the court is just on another level, you know, and she <laughs> she would have been able to enjoy it. You know, the, the ladies at court were provided with clothes. So she would have been given like really nice clothes. Obviously she's accompanying the queen. So she'll, you know, be fed by the household and have all these luxurious food she didn't have. You know, she'd be going to all these tournaments and, you know, seeing all of the great nobles of the time. You know, as I said, this is a time where the tides of war have uh, have changed with France. So there's um, lots of captured French nobles at court. So she's meeting all these great men from, you know, from the mm-hmm. continent. Um, so, yeah, it would have been like just a really magical life-changing moment for her um and obviously very soon afterwards it gets even better because she captures the eye of the king (laughs) yeah i'm assuming that we probably don't know like how old she was because it doesn't sound like we have like birth records but do you know like at what point in Edward's reign that she kind of appeared in court? Like, was it pretty early on? Was yeah, it again, later? it's a lot of kind of educated guesswork. Um, so before this new information came to light, it was kind of assumed that she was very young when she joined the court because they sort of assumed Paris was her maiden name and she hadn't been married. So um, people thought that like she might have even have been like sort of 15 years old even like when, when she got there. Um, because we now know um, that she was married by 1360, um, it's like, okay, well, if she was married by 1360, she couldn't have been like sort of 15 in the mid 60s mm-hmm. when her relationship with the king mm-hmm. starts, because she would have been like 10 back then. And although, you know, we've mm-hmm. spoken about Philippa getting married um, early, although that did happen amongst like royalty and the nobility, in the lower classes, that was not as common. You know, she she would have been a lot yeah. older. So you can kind of then go, well, she was probably like at least 16, 18 in 1360. So then mm-hmm. that kind of goes, okay, well, you know, we're now looking at the 1340s for her sort of, mm-hmm. you know, being born. Mm-hmm. 
So I kind of think probably early 1340s, so that she was, you know, as we said, sort of around 18, 20 years old when she gets married. Um, It doesn't seem like she had kids with Janin, so it seems like, you know, they might not have been married for that long Mm. kind of thing, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which again would suggest that she was a bit younger and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So so she was probably like around 20-ish when she came to the court. Um, Mm -hmm. She probably... We're pretty sure she came to the court after her husband had died because it just makes the most sense. Um, and he was yeah. dead by sort of 1361. So, and then we've got a record in 1364 where she's described as the damsel of the queen and she's getting um, she's getting a gift for her long service to Philippa. So she'd obviously, by 1364, mm-hmm. she must have been there by a couple of years. So at the moment, mm-hmm. it's kind of looking like, you know, some point between 1360 and 1364 is when mm-hmm. she sort of joined the court and she was probably around 20 slash early 20s mm-hmm. at the time. Um, but yeah, as I said, um, Edward was born, if I remember correctly, I think it's 1312. Mm-hmm. So he's about 50 <laughs> years mm-hmm. older this time. So yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's about 30 years older mm-hmm. than her. And, and Philippa obviously is a similar age as well. So they're both sort of middle-aged mm-hmm. by this point. Yeah, but then so Philippa and Edward would have already been married now for like probably like 20 years or something. Wow. Like yeah, that. so yeah, they got married in 1328. So yeah, it's, they've been married for like over 30 years. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. so okay. they're very much established <laughs> and they've had all of their kids uh-huh. and everything. So mm-hmm. yeah. And there's no record of him, of him having any like extramarital affairs before Alice for the first 30 years. Yeah, no, there's 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 no hints like by contemporaries mm-hmm. to say that he did, and you know a lot of his image and like his brand, if you want to say, was kind of built on <laughs> him having this like amazing family and stuff. And so oh, like yeah. if if he had been like sleeping around with everybody, like it would have kind of damaged that, and like people would have seized mm-hmm. upon it. So there's only kind of two other suggestions of sort of potential things. So one of them is a story that he raped the Countess of Salisbury. Um, but it's basically someone's done this and did this amazing article years ago just completely debunking the whole thing um, and it was basically mm-hmm. propaganda spread by the French um, at the time to kind oh. of slant his name um, because just none of the facts line up like the Countess of Salisbury at the time was like 11 years old they've got her name wrong they've got like her location wrong they've got like the story of what happens like apparently the husband gets really upset and like goes off on crusade or something and there's no record he did that so like so so yeah that's kind of very clearly just propaganda by the french to try and discredit him so that's kind of that's one of them and then the other one is Mm -hmm. um, during the 1370s when Alice um, is sort of in power, someone sort of writes these sort of like prophecies and things and sort of commentaries on what's going on. And they claim that during the siege of Calais, which had happened in the 1340s, they claimed Mm -hmm. that during that time there was a woman called Diana who had, you know, seduced the king and sort of given birth to a robber and all of this kind of sort of language. But it's kind of very clear that they're actually really just kind of talking about Alice um, in sort of a veiled mm. way because they sort of like start talking about it and then they go, oh, but I can't say any more because I'll make a woman really mad. And so it's like, well, the only woman he could be making mad would be Alice. So it's like, you know, there's no one at the yeah. time who says that anything happened at Calais. Um, mm. And so, yeah, it seems more likely that he's talking about Alice, but just pretending it's something that happened a while ago because, again, mm. you know, people would try and use stories 
rather than comment directly on what was happening at the time. So it's easier mm -hmm. for him to say something happened two decades ago rather than, hey, can you believe this woman who's here right now? You know? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, and yeah. those are like the, the only two kind of suggestions that he'd been mm. with anyone else. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, historians have said, oh, mm -hmm. he probably wasn't faithful to her. You know, he probably did sleep with people, but it's like, we've got no evidence he did. And it's like, you know, just because mm. mistresses were common at the time doesn't mean that everybody had them. You know, we know of lots of, you know, mm. medieval sort of royal and noble couples where there weren't affairs. So, you know, there's mm. no, again, it comes back to what we were saying earlier about like the easiest answer. Like the easiest answer mm. is he didn't, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, mm -hmm. you know, the easiest thing yeah. is that he had been faithful to Philippa yeah. up until Alice entered his life. And so... Alice and Philippa obviously, I guess, must have been somewhat friends since Alice was Philippa's lady-in-waiting. Did they remain friends or did that relationship Yeah, this is another thing that's like really frustrating because the records don't quite tell us and they're a bit confusing. Mm -hmm. There was basically this suggestion that um, possibly after sort of 1366-ish um, that Alice might have been dismissed from Philippa's service. Um, and this is Ooh. partially based on the fact that in 1368, when we've got the Christmas um, sort of gift list, so as I said, like the ladies would all get new clothes at Christmas, and Alice isn't in the mm. list of Philippa's ladies that received clothes at Christmas. Um, and so there was this kind of suggestion that like, yeah, as sort of Philippa was getting really sick by this point, and it was really clear that she was going to die sort of sometime soon. Um, and so there's kind of a suggestion that like, you know, she was like, just get rid of this woman. <laughs> like, you know, I'm fed up of it kind of thing. Um, but yeah. the evidence is more conflicting because I kind of suggest that Alice might have given birth to her third child in that year. Because uh, again, we don't know when her children were born. <laughs> more mystery. <laughs> I think there's kind of evidence that she could have given birth in 1368. So, um, you know, it wasn't unusual for women to come and go from court. It's not like they would just stay there the whole time. They might serve for a few yeah. years and then they might go home and mm. do something and have yeah. babies and do whatever and then mm. they might come back again. So just because she's not on the 1368 list, like, there's other reasons. As I said, she might have been home looking after a newborn child or, like, she might have just not been there that year kind of thing. And the other thing that kind of questions this is that at Philippa's funeral, again, like, all of the sort of household and her ladies are given black cloth, you know, to wear, you know, to make their, their mourning clothes. Mm -hmm. And Alice is listed alongside her other ladies as receiving this cloth. Mm. Um, and, you know, so again, that throws up things where it's like, well, was she still her damsel and so she was getting the cloth with everybody else? Or was it just that, like, maybe Edward just wanted Alice there so she was given some? Um, mm. But there, there's definitely hints that there was no love lost between them because when Philippa did die, Alice is not given a gift. You know, Philippa sort of left, like, money and things to lots of her ladies and Alice was not mm. given anything. So, um, mm. yeah, I think that definitely suggests that uh, she didn't approve. Because, <laughs> again, some historians have sort yeah. of said that Philippa might yeah. have sort of given her approval for it that she might have been a bit like you know I understand I'm like dying now and you know you kind of need to get get your love elsewhere kind of thing uh -huh. um but yeah I think I I, uh -huh. I don't see that happening <laughs> just on a personal level yeah. I don't think if I'd been married to someone for like 40 years yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah off you go you know I'm dying but whatever yeah yeah You'd better be by my bedside every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Giving um, me soup. And, yeah, yeah and, and again, you know, she, you know, she's a medieval woman. Like, there's nothing really that she could have done if Edward wanted to have a relationship. 
he's having the relationship. But but you know, she 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 had obviously made her displeasure known where she could by not leaving mm-hmm. anything to her. Um and mm-hmm. and you know, she might yeah. well have asked for her to be removed and she might have been removed. As I said, we we just don't have enough records of her household that survive to be able to like track mm-hmm. where she was. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of mystery mm-hmm. about what happens in the last few years of her life, but yeah, I think it is fairly safe to say she didn't approve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Which and is I feel fair. like those two things, yeah. like the pregnancy and her dismissing her could also go together. Like if she like sees her walking around pregnant and she's like, I know who your baby daddy is. It's my husband. Like, I don't want to look at this every single day, yeah. you know, be like, go, go back to your house. Like. I feel like yeah, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> and I also wanted to say, like, I think in, um, when you did our Royal Witches episode, you also talked about gifts. And I just think that's such an interesting way of, like, seeing a story. Like, I I just have never, like, seen someone do that before. And I just, like, love that you pay attention to that. So thank you for telling us that, I guess. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, you only give gifts to people you like. And, like, if you don't give a gift when it's expected, that's, like, a clear sign kind of yeah definitely you know gift giving was very political and and you know rulers had to be very careful about who got what and you know showing the appropriate level you know not making sure that someone of a lower status got a more expensive gift and things Mm. so you know they they might still have Mm. occasionally had to give gifts to people they don't like but but yeah if if a queen's dying and she doesn't want to give someone something she doesn't have to because who cares yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. she's she's gonna yeah. die so you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing to lose yeah that is kind of one of the few times that she could make a statement about it so uh mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so I guess it sounds like so Philippa died would she died in 1668 no sorry 1368 uh 69 yeah 69 and so then if Alice came to the court between 61 and 64 they would have like overlapped for like five to nine years yeah yeah it's quite quite a long time and and you know as I said Philippa was ill for pretty much all of that and you know we know that her ladies in waiting nursed her through some of her sicknesses and so you know it could be that Alice was one of those people who was looking after her as she's really sick and I think that sort of certainly conjures up a lot of like questions of yeah what were they both thinking you know mm-hmm. what was Philippa mm-hmm. thinking being looked after this by this woman and yeah. what was Alice thinking you know did she resent Philippa at all uh did she feel guilty you know mm-hmm. did she just not care was she just like yeah you know I reckon die already you <laughs> uh-huh. know like you know what 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 did both of them think and and how did they act and you know that is one of those things that you know we we will never know um and yeah. sources will never tell us um but but yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely very interesting to imagine like how how they navigated um that court um especially because you know Alice and Edward were very careful to keep everything very quiet um you know there's there's not really much evidence that people outside the royal circle knew anything about their relationship until after the queen was dead um and so you know they were very discreet and um in some ways obviously that would have helped Philippa save face but then it must have also then also been difficult because it's like you can't be overtly mean or horrible to this woman because everyone will be like, yeah. well, why Why are you doing that? You know, kind of thing. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah. like, you'd have to be, like, very polite in company and stuff like that. And go, oh, here's my lovely lady. <laughs> and, you know, stuff like yeah. that. And oh, my God. So, yeah, I think it, I think it must have been very tricky. Yeah. yeah. I'm definitely starting to understand why the, like, contemporary writers and chroniclers 
hated on Alice so much. Sorry, Alice, but it just like I'm thinking about it. I'm like, okay, here's this young widowed girl, and then the queen offers her a job and a house and clothes and food. And it's like, oh, like thank you so much. And she's like, by the way, I'm sick. I need your help. And mm-hmm. instead of really or while she's taking care of her, she's having an affair with her husband. Like that is just kind of heartless to me. Yeah. So it's not it's not yeah. ideal. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, mistresses weren't obviously fondly looked at anyway. Um mm-hmm. but yeah. <laughs> certainly yeah. certainly when you're being a mistress like betraying such a loved woman, then yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, yeah. she she didn't really <laughs> stand a chance and and yeah, yeah. you know, people oh people God. did sort of continue to mention how great Philippa was, um, you know, sort of right near the end of sort of around Alice's downfall, you know, they sort of open parliament and sort of in the opening speech, they're like, oh God, has any king ever had such a great wife as Philippa was? And this is like (laughs) nearly 10 years after her death. And they're like, yeah, Philippa was so great, wasn't she? And it's kind of, you know, it's really making a point as well. Like, yeah, now we're stuck with Alice, Um, you know. Yeah. um, So, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, even if she was really great, she would have struggled. Um, Mm -hmm. So the fact that she had some questionable things as well just really didn't help her. (laughs) Yeah. And so she has this, well, I guess it starts as an affair and then ends up as like, I don't know, boyfriend, girlfriend kind of situation, whatever the 13th century terms for that are. And then Edward dies. And what happens to Alice after that? So basically, she has a very bad time. (laughs) Um, So just before Edward dies, um, the year before he dies, um, basically Parliament gets really fed up with everything. Um, The the crowns like run out of money. And so they're asking for tax from Parliament. And they don't understand where all the money's gone because they had captured the French king and the Scottish king and they'd got huge ransoms from this. So they're Mm -hmm. like, we should be absolutely loaded. You know, why do you need money? Mm -hmm. And the kind of consensus is that Alice and her friends have, you know, been siphoning funds from the crown. And so there's sort of a bit of a trial Mm -hmm. that goes on at Parliament and Alice is kind of implicated in this. Um, Uh But they don't really have any sort of formal charges against her. They just want to kind of get rid of her. So she's kind of informally banished from Edward's uh, presence. But she's kind of allowed to like go out her life other than that. They're just saying, you're not allowed around the king anymore. You've got to leave the court kind of thing. Um, And then sort of towards the end of that year, uh, Edward nearly dies. Um, And after he nearly dies and then recovers sort of his, uh, his oldest remaining son, uh, John of Gaunt, goes, right, we need to sort everything out. Um, you know, Parliament shouldn't have this much control. They shouldn't be allowed to choose who's around the king. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he kind of, like, brings everyone back to court. Um, he calls another Parliament to reverse all of the decisions. Um, and mm-hmm. Alice comes back to court with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, she stays with the king until he dies. Um, and then you have the new king, Richard II, who is a child. Um, and mm-hmm. basically... This means that sort of there's a bit of a kind of, you know, Regency Council kind of thing going on. And they decide, right, we want to sort everything out once and for all. You know, Edward's gone now, so we can just deal with these people that we don't like. So they kind of redo everything that had been done the year before. Uh, You know, they punish the people who had been pardoned. 
and Alice comes under this and they decide this time that like she's gone too far they don't like everything that she had done in the interim and like as I said all these things like getting these last minute things from Edward um, and she had really been pulling the strings behind the scene you know she had been she had been instrumental in getting some of these pardons from these people that Parliament had convicted and so they really didn't like that a woman had done this um, and so she's sort of formally put on trial in Parliament um, and people from across the country are invited to submit petitions if they've got complaints against her and yeah she's put on trial um, and she's convicted um, of basically meddling um, in court business and going directly against the council's orders um, and doing all these things and so she's seen as breaking the terms of the previous parliament and so this time like they're fully punishing her so all of her lands are confiscated everything she owned is confiscated and she's banished from the kingdom she's told oh she has God. to leave england oh altogether and like okay i'm sorry but like <laughs> one all of these like laws that she's broken seem like a stretch like meddling is not a yeah. crime to be like <laughs> yeah. taken to court I know. over How do and you like take yeah how do you have evidence for that? Like, Yeah, you broke oh the rules gosh. of the parliament that was disbanded and then you were pardoned. Like, that's not how that works, actually. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. And then to yeah. be banished, <laughs> this is all a law. Banished with no money. Yeah, she had also obtained several pardons from Edward and the previous par parliament had pardoned her as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, they were kind of just like... No, nah, that doesn't matter. <laughs> like you did these things. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's nothing she can do. She's she's just a single woman and mm -hmm. you know, they're the entire English government. So like she she's kinda of stuck. Mm -hmm. Um, but basically the drama comes just after she is convicted. Um, and basically, you know, all that, the sorry, that wasn't the drama. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, like, all, all of the sheriffs in England sort of get like sent these things where they're like, okay, you need to, you know, figure out what Alice owns in your region and kind of confiscate it for us and like send us a report back. Um, and basically, you know, she had a big house in London. Um, and so the London sheriffs sort of go to the house and they like make this huge long inventory of like all the goods she's got there. Um, but then they kind of go, so whilst we were doing all of this, um, we were talking to some of the neighbours and people are saying that Alice might actually be married, um, but we couldn't really confirm this. So we've just done what you said anyway. So here you go. Um, and basically this rumour like just messes everything up. <laughs> um, so basically in sort of medieval law, uh, when women are married, obviously everything they own becomes the property of their husband. Mm -hmm. um, but this also kind of works as a bit of a legal protection against them where um, the courts can't try a married woman by herself. So if a married woman had done something wrong, she had the right to be tried alongside her husband. So to kind of have like joint defence. Mm -hmm. And so in Parliament, she'd been tried as a single woman. But now it's like, oh, actually, she might have been married. And if she was married, then that means that trial is is invalid. It's not mm -hmm. legal. And she's allowed to have a retrial with her husband. And her husband happens to be this like really powerful man at court. This is such a drama. Um... Wait, was she actually married? <laughs> she she is actually married. We don't know when. We don't know when. Again, another mystery in Alice. Oh my life. gosh. We don't know when she was married. Uh, but yeah, this this guy says, yep, we're married. You know, she's my wife. Um, and so they spend the next couple of years. This seems suspicious. Yeah, they start like, like, talking to Parliament and being like, you know, you need to, you need to reverse this decision. And, but also, you know, how come he didn't say anything when she was on trial? He just was like, oh, I'll just sit back yeah. and see how this goes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Shady, shady, shady. <laughs> 
so yeah, it just it just basically creates this huge problem because now Parliament don't really know what to do with her because they're like, we thought we'd sorted her out, but now like this is a really mm-hmm. big legal headache. But also we've got like so many other things going on that we need to deal with, mm-hmm. um, and we can't really spend time doing this. But like they just keep on, they're like really persistent. They like keep on badgering mm. the government. And as I said, he's actually like quite an important man. He's a really experienced military man and things are ramping up with France again. So they need mm-hmm. someone to go out and like command people over in France. So sort of eventually they go, okay, we'll give you some of her stuff back if you like go lead this army into France for us. So he's like, yeah, okay. So they mm-hmm. sort of like slowly start to recover things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it continues to be just like a legal headache for the rest of her life because they don't mm-hmm. sort of officially they just give them her stuff back but they don't officially like overturn the judgment against her so like and they also pardon them because alice had obviously not left the country so like they pardon her and they pardon him for her not leaving the country and say you're allowed to stay as long as you want like that's fine but like everything had never been legally resolved and this basically means that when when her husband then dies and she's still alive again it's this big legal headache Uh of like who owns this land now and his nephew takes some of it she gets some of it but she doesn't want the nephew to have any of it because she's like this is my stuff like i spent so many years like building this up and so like you know the rest of her life she just continues to like petition parliament and be like you need to sort this out like this is my land give it back to me and yeah it's just a whole mess I don't think Parliament's going to do her any favor. I know, (laughs) that's why I was just thinking, yeah. I was just like, at some point, though, as though I agree with her, like, yes, it is yours, and it should be yours, and it Mm -hmm. shouldn't go to your second husband's nephew, but, Mm -hmm. like, girl... We gotta, we <laughs> yeah. gotta be realistic sometimes. The thing yeah. that was surprising though was like she did actually meet with a decent amount of success, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think a lot of this comes down to the sort of relationships she had cultivated while she was at court, because a lot of mm-hmm. the impetus behind prosecuting her came from the Commons of Parliament, so it came from like all the knights and stuff who weren't happy with her, but like she'd obviously spent fifteen years with the royal family, and like her son and King Richard had clearly been kind of like friendly when they were kids as well Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. she clearly has some sympathy within the royal family and like as the years go on like people don't care about her anymore like they only cared about her because she was the king's mistress and she was really powerful but it's like you know once there's been a new king for like 10 years and she's just like this nobody woman no one cares to stop her anymore so like she does meet with some success Mm -hmm. in parliament like richard ii shows her some favor like he grants her some gifts of wine and stuff like this and um Mm -hmm. she does at one point succeed in having the nephew imprisoned for a while for like some debt but then he kind of gets released and nothing happens and her, her big problem by that point is the fact that she's a woman because it's like the nephew could be someone useful. You know, he's a man, he could give them some money, he could lead some troops, mm-hmm. whereas she's just Alice Perez. So it's like, mm-hmm. if they're both mm-hmm. arguing for the same land, they're kind of going to favour him because he, he could be useful yeah. later on. Whereas if they yeah. favour yeah. her, it's just like, they're just favouring her kind of thing. So mm-hmm. she does meet some success and like she does get a lot of her stuff back. But yeah, she never sort of truly gets everything back um 
and yeah it's, even when she dies um it her will is a bit sad really because you can tell she's like this sort of really bitter woman um mm -hmm. because in her will she she tells her daughters like you have to keep on fighting for the lands you know that are rightfully ours mm -hmm. and she says you know on the pain of my soul he never had any right to it kind of thing so like oh, even like wow. as she's dying like years and years later she's like still really angry about this stuff and yeah and, yeah it's kind of haunted her life ever since ever since edward died basically so like 30 you know 20 odd years yeah mm. oh gosh i could never be a medieval woman this is too <laughs> much the stress yeah i would not yeah. be able to cope um but I like hearing things like that. Like, obviously, it's sad that she was, like, so bitter at the end. But, like, knowing that, like, women also want to leave, like, a legacy and, like, a mark on the world. Like, I feel like we always talk about, like, men wanting to do that in history. Like, make a name for themselves, kind of. But, like, mm -hmm. women are also trying to do that sometimes and, like, you know, have generations that follow be, like, better because of what they did. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, like, really cool that she kind of, like, said that as like her last last thing to her daughters and especially yeah. that it was to her daughters did she only have daughters sorry or did she have sons too she had two daughters and a son but her son died around the same time that her husband died um and okay. that again was uh was like a huge problem for her because you know if her son had mm. lived it probably would have been a very different story because you know yeah. as i said it was choosing between giving the land to alice or giving the land to the nephew but if alice's son was still alive it's like well mm. he's someone who is also powerful who's also got land and money he's the son of the king so like he would have had a much stronger case to get everything back. Yeah. Um, but because he yeah. had died, she couldn't use use that avenue. So yeah, things would have been mm. a lot different. But yeah, sadly he died probably late late teens, you know, around the age of twenty or so. Um and, and yeah, mm. so that as I said, that that again sort of caused the problems. But yeah, her two daughters um outlived her, so they sort of became her joint heirs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I can't decide if it's like the saying that like on the pain of my soul like thing if it's like bitter and like kind of sad or if it's like girl power and I'm like, yes, girl, like don't let it go. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't know. It's yeah, kind of both, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. As you say, it is. It's, it's sad that like, you know, so many years later, she's still like so obsessed with it when when she did have a lot of it back you know it's not mm -hmm. like she was completely left penniless and, and had nothing you know she did still have some things and had a decent life mm -hmm. um but yeah as you say it's like well why shouldn't she because she did she gathered yeah. all of that herself like obviously she was helped by her connections to the king and people were more mm -hmm. willing to like make deals with her because she's the mistress of the king but it's like mm -hmm. she she did it all by herself and she earned it and the only reason she couldn't have it is because she was a woman. And so yeah. it's like, yeah, well, why wouldn't you, like, be bitter and be like, no, screw yeah. him. Like, you know, he messed everything up, you know. So, yeah, as you say, it is, it is a bit of both, really. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This, I was like, obviously, this is going to be interesting, but this was a wild story. <laughs> you see. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That is. And these are two women I had honestly never heard of before Marva told me about your book. So <laughs> this is like just a whole world that I'm so new to. 
Yeah. Well, you'll have to read the book when it's out. Yes, <laughs> yes definitely. Yeah, it's so, I'm so excited. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's been so, it's been one, just so good to like speak to you again um, and like hear this amazing story. I'm sure that there's so much more as well, like in the book that we can't go into in like one podcast episode. So I'm really excited to like learn more yes. about both of these women. Yeah, it's yeah, just been super fascinating to hear about them. And thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you yeah. for having me. It's always fun to talk about them and like, tell yeah. people about yeah. how great they are. You know, <laughs> that's why I wanted yeah. to write about them because they're just so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, and you're just so knowledgeable about this whole Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, Yeah. like you talking about it, like, because, you know, we do our episodes where we, like, research and, like, we read word for word all of our notes, and you're just like, (laughs) I have just all of this knowledge, like, in my head. Yeah, Um, yeah. And you can tell the story, like, different ways, you know, like, Mm because you kind of have to, like, read between the lines sometimes, and, like, it's so cool that just to hear you do that, like, live. (laughs) So thank (laughs) you. Yeah. It's always such a pleasure to speak with Gemma because, as Marva said, she is so brilliant and just so devoted to her research. It's truly just so mind blowing and inspiring. And we learn so much from her every time. And we hope you did too. If you'd like to know more, you should read her book, The Queen and the Mistress, The Women of Edward III, which is, you know, for sale everywhere. It's on Amazon. It's at Waterstones if you're in the UK. It's at Barnes and Nobles if you're in the US. If you are anywhere else, I don't know, but... <laughs> Those are just where we live, so that's what we know. Yes. But yes. Amazon, you can ship many, many places, so... Yes. Yeah. And she also has her blog um, that's called Just History Post that you can find online and on Twitter. And also, of course, if you liked this episode and you want to know more about medieval queens and medieval women, also check out her other book, Royal Witches. Yeah, so we hope you enjoyed. Great. Bye. This is, is sister. Okay. And stop recording. Sister.